You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. May I get song get anybody fired up? Yeah, man, good stuff. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, if you need to use your table of contents, there's no judgment, no shame here. So uh, Jeremiah, we're going to be uh, looking at chapter two here in just a minute. I'll let you get a second to turn there. Um, well, my wife, Lauren, and I, we have, uh, I've told you guys probably too many times, we have twins that are, uh, there'll be three this month. And so we're realizing more and more, like, we need to enter that uh, potty training stage. Like we, we just need to, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like we just, it needs to happen even for like my sanity. I think it would be good if we just entered that potty training stage and we've been talking about it. And so one of the things we've been saying, um, to our kiddos is, Hey, like once you, once you use the potty on the, on the potty, you, you get some candy. Like, this is exciting. Like we try not just to hand out candy all the time at our house. So like, this is a big deal. You get candy when you go on the potty. Well, I'm not going to say too much. Don't worry. The other day, I was using the restroom and my son came in, hadn't, and he saw me using the restroom and he said, Dada, you get candy? <laughs> and I was like, man, that's not exactly how it works. Though it should, right? Like it should, that, that'd be awesome. Um, Haddon is in this stage where he's prone to think about candy. And he's, there's a lot of things he, he does that are cute, things that he's prone to do that are cute. Like Haddon has this, uh, it's kind of actually a little weird, but it's cute, this this, I guess fetish is the right word. Fetish is like when you're obsessed with something. Is that right? Um, he, he loves comfy clothes, what he calls comfy clothes. So I'm willing to bet almost any day you come over to our house, he's going to have on sweatpants and no shirt. And he does have these really nice, uh, I say nice, I mean like we got him at Target, so I don't mean like expensive, but this really soft PJs. And when you, this particular pair, when he puts them on, he's like, ooh, they comfy, they comfy. Like he just loves comfy clothes. Even, I guess it was this past week or the week before, um, getting ready for work and everything. And I hear Haddon back in his room just screaming bloody murder. I'm like, dude, something's going down. Like somebody's broken his room. And so I, I go and I open the door and the second I crack the door open, he completely quits crying and screaming. He's got a pair of sweatpants in his hand. And he goes, dad, dad, you put on my comfy clothes. <laughs> I'm like, you're not dying. He's like, just comfy clothes. <laughs> like, he's obsessed with comfy clothes. He's prone to want to talk about comfy clothes. He loves his comfy clothes. And as cute as that is, there's some things that Haddon does that are, that are not cute. You know what I'm saying? As I've never heard this term until somebody said the other day, which we, we love the stage our kids are in, but somebody said that they're turning into three-nagers. I guess that's the thing, a three-nager. And uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and so yeah, there's just, it's just fun. Like even yesterday, we got back from lunch and no, we got back from a little hike. Uh, hike, right, <laughs> with the kids. And uh, we, we get them in the house and they want to watch some TV. Sure, that's fine, turn on the TV. And he asked for some milk and it took me longer than 15 seconds and he lost his mind, like completely lost his mind. He's prone, he's apt to lose his mind over little things that he knows are gonna follow through. And so while there's some things that are cute that he does, there's other things that as, as a dad, I'm like, dude, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say they disgust me, but like if he did that when he's 10 years old, that would disgust me, right? Where's my milk? <laughs> You know, it's, it's similar, keyword similar, but it's similar with our relationship with God as our heavenly father. There's things that 
we're prone to do is as children. So children being not just anybody, but those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. There's things we're prone to do that I think God is like a father that uh, looks down and is like, man, that's awesome. Like, that's so cute. I'm, I don't know if God uses the word cute, but you get where I'm going there. Like, he's proud. I think there's other things that we do that we're prone to do that God looks at and he's like, oh, like that's, that's disgusting. It's interesting that the Bible was written, uh, you know, parts of it thousands of years ago. Well, I guess all of it thousands of years ago. Um, God's people were still prone to do the same things that they were then. Like if you're a history major, you know that history has this thing about it where it repeats itself. And that's certainly the case with God's people. So that's kind of a cool thing about the Old Testament. As we read the Old Testament, it's not like, wow, when now their culture was way different than ours. But when you look at them as human beings and the things they were prone to do, they were apt to do in their nature, man, we're not much different at all, <laughs> at all. That was the case with, with Jeremiah. I'm not gonna give you a lot of uh, context to Jeremiah this morning. I would invite you or even encourage you to uh, get the one sheet uh, that has information on Jeremiah and Lamentations. I'll also be honest, I'm gonna be strictly in Jeremiah this morning just because I couldn't figure out how to tie in Lamentations without preaching for like two hours and as much as you would love that. <laughs> um, so we're gonna be just in Jeremiah this morning, but I would really encourage you to grab that one sheet. If you don't already have it, grab it on your way out and it has some helpful information on the book of Jeremiah, the man Jeremiah, and even Lamentations as well. But I think one thing you should know, so yes, Jeremiah is a prophet. He was a, a fourth teller and a foreteller. So there are absolutely certain things, uh, certainly things that he talks about that are even in our future still to come as you read Jeremiah that have not yet happened at happened yet. At the same time, there are lots of things he pointed to Christ. He pointed to the Messiah coming, which is Jesus, as we'll see later in the message. But also, he spent a large part of his time, you're going to see in the book of Jeremiah, if you read through it, he spent a lot of his time addressing what was going on in their world right then and there. What was going on with God's people right then and there. And he actually was speaking specifically to the nation of Judah. So if you remember, just after King Solomon passed away, the, like shortly, they didn't last very long, they didn't keep it together very long, the nation of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And you had Israel, the northern, and Judah, the southern. And Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah, to the southern kingdom. And he's gonna address, hey, there's some things that you're doing as God's people that disgust him. And if you don't change some things, judgment is coming. And I wanna say this real quick, like, we're in a different covenant than they were. The church today is not, we're not Judah, we're not Israel, it's, new, it's a new covenant. But certainly there's some things that tells us about the character of God, the nature of God, and what he expects of his people. Does that make sense? That's why this still 100% matters for us today. So what is it? What was it that was so despicable? You're gonna see as we start reading in chapter two in just a few seconds, I use the metaphor of a father and his children. Jeremiah uses, right out, from, right out of the gate, he uses a different metaphor, that of a, a husband and a wife, because it kind of ups the intensity of the betrayal level and the disgust level, if that makes sense. Jeremiah chapter two, verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. 
All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So he says, it's kind of, it's like a honeymoon idea. It's like, man, I remember we first came into a relationship, talking to God, talking to the people of God. I remember when we first came into a relationship, you were like a bride following me around. And if anyone messed with you, they incurred guilt. I protected you. I was looking after you. Verse four. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where's the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells? Do you see what he's saying there? He says, what did your fathers, what did they find wrong with me that they would just abandon me? What did they find wrong with me? What, what was unbecoming? What was not good or, or wonderful about me that they would leave me and desert me? And then not even wonder like, where's the Lord? So he's saying, you weren't even seeking me. Your fathers and you weren't even seeking me. Verse seven. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So he says, if you remember a little history of, the, of Israel, Judah. So he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, right? Brings them through the desert, through the wilderness, and eventually into Canaan, into the promised land. So he fulfilled his promises. He brought them there. And then what did they do? Almost right out the gate. They're worshiping other gods. They're denying and ignoring the God who had brought them so far. He's like, what, what, what happened here? I was faithful, brought you to the promised land. And then once you got to where it was nice and it was easy and you were comfortable, you just, you just abandoned me. Again, if you go back to the beginning of verses one and, or verse two, really, the context, the kind of a metaphor you're using is, is adultery. We had this covenant marriage, this relationship, and then you started sleeping around on me is basically what he's saying. Verse nine. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Keter and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Uh, when he says, but my people have changed their glory, probably maybe an even simpler way of understanding that, that word in Hebrew is exchange. So they've exchanged their glory, God, They've exchanged, switched, traded that for that which does not profit. So their glory, kind of a twofold thought here, their glory, God, the glorious God, who is majestic and all powerful and all knowing, the creator of all, their, their glory. So him, but also kind of that, I think a second um, undercurrent of idea there is their glory, meaning what made God's people anything at all was not because they were special or they had worked really hard or they had done something. No, what made them special was God's grace and love for them, right? God was the one who saw them in slavery 
in, I'm probably driving the camera guy crazy. Sorry, I keep running over here. <laughs> God saw them in slavery in hardship and sorrow in Egypt. And he, by his grace and power and might, brought them out of Egypt to a land that they had not, could not have conquered on their own. He brought them into houses that they did not build and made them a people, gave them a name. He put them on the map. They, he says, they exchanged all of that. So relationship, enjoying a relationship with God, the maker of the universe, the one who had bestowed grace and love and mercy on them, even though they did not deserve one lick of it. They exchanged that. It says, what did they get for it? For that which does not profit. <laughs> so it wasn't like, man, you know what? You, you traded your truck in, you got a good deal, man. You got an upgrade. Like, No, they traded everything for nothing. No one looks at that and go, dude, man, like, that was a wise investment. Good trade there. <laughs> no, they, they totally like, took a bath on this one, right? Does that make sense? Does that, okay, yeah. Wasteful. So not only is it ungrateful to, to kind of uh, spurn the Lord, like, now nah, we don't care about you. It's ungrateful and it's foolish. That's, that's ridiculous to, to trade up the God of the universe for nothing. That's not wise, <laughs> So look at verse 12. Go, goes back to that disgust introduction that I was talking about, about how, what things we're prone to do that may disgust God. He says, verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. So he doesn't look at God, he doesn't look at his people abandoning him and two-timing him and go, oh man, they're just silly, they're just young, they'll figure it out, they're cute. No, he looks at it and goes, this is disgusting. He calls the angels to be appalled with him. That's an appall, we don't use that word very much, right? Like the Lord says, I'm appalled at what's going on. Completely disgusted, sick to my stomach. How could they do this? Not just because it's wrong, but because he cares about his people. What are they thinking? So he calls the heavens to be shocked along with him. And then here's where we're gonna really camp out. He says, here's what it all boils down to. If I could summarize what they've done, my people have done, the foolishness that it is, that it is Summarize it real simple. Here's what it is. Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. And you're gonna see two evils, but it's really one coin, different sides. That's what you're gonna see. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So that's number one. First problem, God's people, Jeremiah is saying, you've, you've forsaken God. The fountain of living waters. We're gonna unpack that in a second. You've forsaken me. Water, it, you have to have water to, for sustenance, right? If you're gonna have a life at all, you have to have water. It, it sustains you, allows you to live, to function. And he says, they've forsaken me. So that, that's the first evil, to, to turn your back on God, who is all that you need. And two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So not only did you forsake the Lord, he's saying, talking to God's people. Again, remember, this is, he's not talking to some, uh, let's think Old Testament terms. He wasn't talking to, to Babylon or Assyria or Egypt. He was talking to God's people. Y'all tracking with that? Talking to God's people. And he says, you, it's, not, it's not just that you forsook me, you also have dug out these cisterns for yourselves that, that are broken. They, they do you no good. 
So you forsook me and then tried to find provision, sustenance, life somewhere else. And he'd done a bad job at doing it. <laughs> so a little, a little context that's helpful. So in Palestine in these days, in Israel these days, kind of three sources of water. So first you had a spring or a stream, what they would call living water. So this is fresh water. And, and we have f- some fresh water in Texas. Amen. By the way, I just looked this up this morning. You can totally make fun of me. All right, um, Buffalo Springs. I'm, like, I, I'm just like throwing my shame out there. Right. Buffalo Springs. Is there actually a spring there? No? Okay, I'm not that stupid. Okay. I looked up on the map this morning. I was like, I'm just curious how many like springs are in Texas. Because where I grew up, which man, we're Texans now, we love Texas. Don't hit us a slight. But in Florida, where I grew up, there really are springs everywhere. Like just pull over the road, there's a spring. Not that, not that much, but there are springs everywhere. So I was like, what's the closest spring in, in, in Lubbock? And I was like, are you kidding me? There's a spring? And then, so you're telling me it's not really a spring. All right, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, so, Okay, no, you're good. Buffalo Springs, have y'all been to a spring? Some of y'all? When you go to a spring, who's been to a cold spring in the summer? Ah, it's refreshing, right? Fresh water. Man, there's nothing like when it's hot as blue blazes. I think about growing up in Florida and it'd be 105 in the summer and humidity and you jump in that cold spring. Man, that's a game changer. So you have... The first type of water, cold or hot spring, fresh. So that's what they literally would call it living water because it was moving. It was coming from a source you couldn't see. It was just provided there. A second, sorry, I got way distracted on the Buffalo Springs there. <laughs> second way they had water was gr- groundwater. So like a well, right? We have some, my neighbors have a well. Uh, some people have a well where it collects and it's good, clean water. The earth is really filtered. A third source of water was they would go and literally, uh, again, we don't use this word hewed, but they would dig out uh, in the rock a cistern that, so it could collect runoff water. Tracking with me? So the first, the living water, that's the best source. Well water's good. This hewed out, uh, dug out runoff water, that, that's, that's the least best option. So just to put it in Lubbock terms, what he's saying is, you've forsaken me, a flowing river of life or a flowing stream, a flowing, a bubbling spring. You've forsaken me and you've chosen to go hang out at a playa lake. Right? That's pretty much, I mean, I'm not hating, like I'm glad we have playa lakes, but there's a reason there are signs posted all around playa lakes, do not drink the water, right? Like do not swim in the water. Uh, I know you catch fish out there, but you better be careful the fish you're eating out of the playa lakes. You know what I'm saying? Like this thing's be growing third and fourth eyes. I don't know. <laughs> because it's not fresh. It's runoff water. That, that's really the picture. I'm being silly, but that's the picture here. You've forsaken a spring, a stream. You've dug out these cisterns for yourself. And to add to that, to add to the grossness, they can't hold any water. He says, they're broken. So with a, with a cistern, you, if you, sometimes it would be like a natural uh, kind of cave in the rock, you could say, or if they dug out the rock, you would go, they would go in and, and try to plaster the cistern so it wouldn't leak. 
So he says, your cisterns that you're trying to hold water to these, these places in your life that you're trying to have provision and sustenance and life, you, you can't even plaster them well. They're leaking. They don't hold water. So a cistern, it may, when it first rains and there's some runoff water, it may be like, oh, this is great. This is exciting. There's water. But within a couple of days, it's all leaked and drained away, right? Kind of similar to like our plow lakes when we don't have rain for a while and we're in a drought. Where'd it go? <laughs> what's going on so what is going on this is idolatry he's saying you you've forsaken me the living God who is fully capable of giving you everything you need to live in this life to have fulfillment and purpose and pleasure you've forsaken me and gone to other things if you read through Jeremiah it's, it's idolatry. You worship these other gods. I know, I know probably it's safe to say 99, if not 100% of us in this room, we don't have little gods at home that we bow down and worship to, or, or do we? <laughs> they may not be little wooden carved images, right? Probably not. But we can relate. So you worship these other gods. I think a fair question, going back to the to the spring idea versus the Playa Lake idea, it's a fair question to ask. Why would anybody do that? Like, why in your right mind, like if we don't, just for clarity's sake, but if, if behind, in our backyard, if we had a fresh spring with cold water, you would think I was crazy if during the heat of summer, like in July or early August, you would think I was crazy. No, I would be crazy if instead of enjoying the spring at our house, if you saw me down swimming in the Playa Lake. <laughs> You'd be like, you, I, I'm not coming to that church anymore. <laughs> One, because I'm gonna get some disease when I shake your hand. <laughs> you say, that's crazy. Who in their right mind forsakes a spring, a stream for, for life? Again, uh, we, this is kind of lost on us because we don't live off of a spring. But you, I think you get the picture. Who would forsake that and go to a ply lake? Also, by the way, the cisterns would collect, besides germs, often they were infested with mosquitoes. Like, why would you choose that over a fresh spring or stream? I think that the answer is kind of in the text, or not kind of, it is in the text. So you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, singular or plural? Singular. God says, you've forsaken me, the fountain, singular, of living waters. So lots of water, that's why there's an S on waters, right? But me, singular, the fountain of living waters. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. So God, singular, cisterns, what we got? Plural. I think one reason is, one reason they were forsaking God and, and pursuing these cisterns is because God is one source. Cisterns in this text, multiple, they're all over the place. It's kind of like I can choose to try to put this in a way that I can track with it and hopefully you too. I think one reason people will go and hang out, and, and I've done it too, so I'm not hating, and like fish or whatever, play uh, near Playa Lake rather than Lake Allen Henry is because dude, there's like Playa, Playa Lakes all over here, right? Like just drive, like, heck, we could, we could all leave right now, walk down Memphis, we're not going to. But it's just right down there. Or you could go across Memphis, there's another Playa Lake right down there. To get Lake Allen Henry, Lake Allen Henry that, take, that takes some intentionality, right? And that's what was going on with the people. Man, the, these, the picture is 
these other gods that they're worshiping, they're just easily accessible. So I've got singular devotion, focus, one God, or I can go worship all these other gods, just turn the corner and there, there they are. I can enjoy them for a little bit. I think it's one reason that's going on. Another reason says they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. So you can, they can custom make a cistern, right? So in our terms, they can custom make a ply lake. They're like, what's, <laughs> what's that old T.I. song? You can have whatever you like, right? Anybody? No? My generation? Sorry. Thank you, Blake. <laughs> Some gangster raps and gangster raps. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, they could, they could custom make it how they want. So rather than aligning and worship God on his terms, he's, I think a temptation, why they would go worship these other gods is they could worship a God that came to them on their terms, that made them feel good, that gave them whatever they wanted. So it was tempting. It's kind of like the same reason why you, we all know that fast food is not the best thing for us, but after church, a lot of us are gonna go get fast food? Why? Because it's fast, right? And if I was like, man, you know what? Why don't you come to United with me? We'll go, we'll go pick out some steaks. We'll go find some good asparagus if you, or whatever vegetable you like, right? And we're gonna go and we'll get, some, we'll get some potatoes from mashed potatoes and then we'll go to the house and then I'll just need like, man, 45 minutes, I'll get the grill going. Man, we're gonna have a good meal. You, would, you might be like, that sounds good, but now nah, I'm gonna hit up Slim Chickens, right? <laughs> like Chick-fil-A if it wasn't Sunday, okay? It's, you know what's best for you, but sometimes the, the convenience is just too tempting or the have it your way is just too tempting. See, it turns out we're, we're not that different than them, are we? We're prone to wanna pursue and worship other gods, to find our purpose, our pleasure in another God. What are some of those gods? I think for some, it's another person. You, you feel like if you could just have this relationship, kind of leaning into my students here, to our students, if you could just have this relationship and you'd be so happy. So, you, so you, you, you're giving all your thought, your energy into this relationship. And I would just tell you like, man, I love the mess out of my wife. Is that, that's not a real romantic way to say that, but... <laughs> I think any married couple would tell you in here, man, marriage is awesome. It really is. But if, hey, there you go. That's smart. Yeah. Hey, man, brother. <laughs> but like we said a couple weeks ago, spouses make terrible gods. You try to find all your greatest pleasure and purpose in this spouse, like you're gonna get tired of them real quick and they're gonna get tired of you even quicker. <laughs> person can't fulfill you because they're, they're a broken sinner like you. Others of you, maybe you're trying to find your purpose and your pleasure. So in other words, you could say your idol, what you worship is your image or your appearance. Man, if I could just have this exact appearance, if I could just improve my, my image a little bit, man, man th then I would be okay. And so rather than pursuing the fountain of living waters, the Lord, you've dug out this cistern for yourself and try to plaster it up to make, to make everybody like the way that you look. And you spend all your time and your effort and your, your energy on that, thinking that'll fulfill you rather than pursuing the Lord. Maybe a, a close, similar thought, but a little different is status. 
if I could just reach this status, man, then I would have arrived. Then I would be ultimately happy. Man, it's not getting very sad. I remember, uh, I don't say too much here, but I deleted my Instagram out a couple months ago for good reasons. I was just like, man, I think I just like, I watched the, uh, what's that, Social Dilemma. And I, I'm very impulsive. So I watched the Social Dilemma. I deleted my Instagram right away. <laughs> Lauren's like, oh, brother. Because <laughs> I'm, snip, snap, snip, snap. Um, and... <laughs> I got it back a few, I guess a month or two ago. And I felt myself struggling with like, man, I'm back down to zero followers. I'm a loser. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, but, but I'm not, right? Like, I, I really had thoughts like, man, if I hadn't deleted my Instagram, I would, I'm, I'll be up to a thousand followers by now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow, good goal, man. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's funny because we can relate, can't we? What can I post that'll get a lot of likes? And maybe Instagram, maybe I'm old now, whatever it is, right? If I could, be, if I could just be part of this, this group, this social club, or if I could drive this kind of vehicle, then, then I, would, I, would, I would feel like, man, I've arrived. And God's saying, why, why are you digging that hole, hoping it'll hold water? That's not gonna hold water very long, bro. Maybe for others of us, it's, it's your identity as, as a spouse or, or as a parent. I, if I'm on, I could be way wrong. Uh, maybe this is like stereotyping, but I, I think often from conversations, I thought often ladies are more prone to this, to, to they find their worth in, in who they are as a, as a wife or as a mom. And man, it's incredible that you see that as a high calling because it is. But if you try to find your ultimate identity and pleasure and purpose in being a mom or a wife, rather than the fountain of living waters, what God says about you, you're always gonna be disappointed. Men, we may struggle with that, but I think, again, typically, keyword typically, most often, we're gonna struggle more with finding our identity, our worth, worshiping the God of work and career, Right? If I can just work a few more hours, then I'll get that, that raise and get more money. And then, and then maybe I can think about this, pursuing this part of my career. And God say, hey, like, there's nothing wrong with pursuing your career and, and working hard to honor the Lord. That's, those are good things. But you're, you're digging as if, and you're working as if your job can ultimately fill you up. I'm telling you, brother, that, that, that sister's not gonna hold water very long. <laughs> It's like the Playa Lakes around here. You're gonna be empty once again. How foolish to forsake relationship and enjoying your heavenly father to try to dig out this other God of, of a career, whatever it may be. I'll tell you the same thing Jeremiah was telling them. Don't settle. There's more for you in Jesus Christ. There's nothing bigger or better than him. Nothing satisfies like him. Don't settle. We all too often forsake the one who is everything only to gain nothing. <laughs> we forsake the one who's everything only to gain nothing. And by the way, you're gonna miss this. If you come to God for, well, I'm hoping God will provide me this or give me this, you're gonna miss it. You understand and begin to see God as everything when you come to him for him. <laughs> and not for other stuff that he may can give you. And he, man, he's a giving, generous, loving father. But if you come to him for what he can give you, you're gonna miss out on who he is.
And that's the best part of knowing him, being a child of God. I think there's three responses to, to this text, and, and I'm just stealing from the rest of Jeremiah. Three, three responses. The first one to believers is to run to Jesus. Running to Jesus, meaning you're gonna repent, so turn from digging this cistern, this, uh, this hole over here, turn from it and run to Jesus, the fountain of living waters. So some of you right now, God is calling you to put down that shovel. You've been hoping that maybe like I can party a little bit while I'm in high school or I can, if I just get this boyfriend or girlfriend or if I just get this part of my job or if I just change my appearance just a little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. He's calling you right now, like literally right now to say, hey, sis, bro, put down the shovel. It's not working. Or, or maybe you've already dug it and you're like, man, I'm getting close and you got the plaster and you're plastering that cistern. And they're like, cistern, it's such a funny word. Sorry, like, I need to find a different word for it. Anyway, you're plastering that cistern and, and you're like, man, if I just get a little more, it'll hold the water just right and everything will be fine. And God's like, That's, it's still not gonna last. Like I see holes all over it that you can't see. Put down the plaster. Others of you as Christians, you need to de- determine to delight. What do I mean by that? Determine to delight in Jesus. It takes intentionality to sit and enjoy a spring or a stream. So I mean, some of you right now, you, you would like, maybe you're not chasing all these other idols, but God's call us to, to stay calm and patient and sit by the stream. Some of you may object and say, man, I've been sitting by the stream or the spring for a long time, by the fountain of, of, of living waters, and I'm not, I'm not feeling much. One thing I would tell you, there's a difference in being close to a spring and actually enjoying a spring. Just because you come to church, you grew up in a Christian home, or you go to Sunday school, you go to a small group, whatever, that doesn't mean you're actually enjoying God. I think about uh, going to springs growing up all the time in Florida and uh, there are always the people that were there on the, on the road trip with us, but they would just sit back and watch, right? I'm gonna tell you, they did not have the same experience we did when we were doing cannonballs into the spring. <laughs> are you just kind of near Jesus or are you actually diving and enjoying him, spending time with him? Are you just going through the motions or giving him your all? Another thing I would say, if you're like, man, I, I've, been, I've been trying to sit by the fountain of living waters. I'm not really sensing much. Sensing much. You gotta give it time. It would be foolish to go visit a spring, go visit the famous Buffalo Springs right down the road. And it'd be foolish to go and, and dip your toe in there and be like, that, that was not refreshing. Nope, I tried it, don't care. <laughs> we'd be like, bro, you, you get, you, what? <laughs> you put your toe in it. Like, or it would be just as foolish, though not as bad, or a little, a little better, to, to jump in and get right back out and be like, man, that wasn't really refreshing. You gotta you got give it time. How many of us, we, we just, we spend a few minutes with the fountain of living waters every day. And then we go about our business and we're like, man, he's not really changing me. And he's like, you haven't really stayed very long. <laughs> Most of the metaphors in scripture for a, a Christian blossoming and growing think Psalm 1, for example, are these slow agriculture metaphors. It's a process. You gotta give it time. 
sit and enjoy the fountain of living water. So determined to delight. So one more response. I'm going to lead to it this way. It's interesting. The very end of the book, chapter 52, you don't have to turn there. It ends after all this doom and gloom and they're in the exile. It ends with this kind of weird emphasis on King Jehoiachin being bestowed honor and really mercy and grace. That king comes from the line of David. So what God through Jeremiah was doing was giving us a little glimmer, a little glimpse. There was still hope for the coming line of David, for a king who would come in the line of David, the Messiah who would come in the line of David, which we know as Jesus. Yes, so even Jeremiah 52 points us to Jesus. So Jesus, when he came, he was known as the son of man, but also the son of David. So again, he was in the line of even this King Jehoiachin. I'm trying to show you that connection there. And Jesus, if you read the accounts of him, if you think about John chapter four with the woman at the well, and she's at this well trying to get water. And he says, hey, look, that water is not going to satisfy you, but I can give you living water. You'll never thirst again. That's what the, the king, the line of David says. In John 7, 37 through 39, Jesus stands up at this feast and he says, whoever's thirsty, come to me and from him will flow streams of living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit indwells you and it's like having your own little fountain of living water inside of you. You don't have to go dig all these other wells and these little cisterns because he's right there inside of you flowing with water. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So he's not like, yeah, I want you to kind of enjoy life. He's like, man, I'm gonna come and give you life to the full, life to the max. So he's saying in that moment, these other little cisterns, these other little dugout pits that are trying to collect water, they, they don't touch anything of the provision and sustenance and life and pleasure and purpose that I can fill you with. <laughs> Don't come even close. And then if you turn, you can if you want, Revelation chapter 22, after speaking of the fact that Jesus is coming again and he will come not as the lamb to be slain, but the conquering king. And Revelation 22, oh, there we go, past it. The spirit and the bride. So the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, here's what we say. Revelation 22. Come and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I said there was a third response this morning. That is, come. If you do not know Jesus, he offers you living water. And if you're like, well, man, I just, I've done too many terrible things. Like I owe too much to God. I can never pay him back. He says, no, you can pay without price because I paid the price for you. You can come. So this morning, as the worship team comes up quickly, because I've talked too long. <laughs> if you are a Christian, as we sing this song, then make this song your prayer. Maybe it means during the song you need to, to run to Jesus. I'm going to ask Jack and um, uh, if, if Cole's in here, I'll ask him to come down. If not, I'll step right down here to be down front. And if you would, Jack, if you'll come down front. I'm sorry, I don't know if you heard that part. Um, if you uh, would like prayer, you're like, man, I need to, to run from these things and run back to Jesus, we would love to pray with you. Or maybe you're like, man, I need to choose to delight, determine to delight in Jesus. We'd love to pray with you about that. But make this song your prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, but this morning you would like to come to him knowing he's paid the price for you to come and drink freely from the fountain of living 
water, which is him. And we'd love to talk with you right down here and pray with you about what it means to follow Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna sing this song. Jesus, you give us courage and conviction to turn from false idols, to turn from these broken cisterns that can't satisfy and to turn to you, the fountain of living water. God, that we would realize that our purpose, our pleasure can only be ultimately found in you. And God, for those that don't know you, I pray they would have the courage and the boldness to stand up and come and talk to one of us this morning about what it means to trust you as Savior. And God, as we sing this song, would you just draw our hearts to you to know that we are prone to wander, we are prone to leave the God we love. God, because of that, would you help us to turn to you for help and for strength? It's in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Y'all would stand and sing and respond with us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.